The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What's up, everybody? We are back between the hashes. Tuesday edition. I'm here with my guy, Oliver. Oh, actually, oh, that's, that feels weird. Ali Hodgkinson. I can't call you Oliver, man. I can't do it. Ali Hodgkinson and I'm Ian Cummings. Ali, how you doing, man? I know you got your booster shot recently. It was kind of under the weather. Are you feeling better now? Um, yeah, not bad, man. Not bad. It's uh, all of us a bit formal for a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no feeling. Starting to feel a bit better. Go out there, get your boosters, guys. Um, we're looking forward to, to talking some college football, some NFL draft. Look, it's college football bowl season, man. If you don't feel well, if that yeah. doesn't make you feel better, like I don't know what is going to make you feel better. I was going to say, what's up, Julian? How you doing, man? For you and for anyone else who's hopping in, I'm, I'll give a reminder when we got more people in here. But uh, submit your questions, and we'll follow up. And Joshua, what's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you. But um, if you guys have questions about the NFL draft, you know, hit us up, and we'll we'll circle back to all that at the end of the show. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Ali, it's bowl season, and if you're a draft Nick, then your life essence basically is derived from football and bowl season. So it's kind of a it's it's a good time to be alive, right? And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, famous Idaho Potato Bowl going on right now because Wyoming and Kent State. I know Kent got off to a, a good start, but uh, Wyoming, they've had some shock plays in there. I know Chad Muma, linebacker, senior bowl edition. He's going to be a guy that you want to watch. I saw some good plays from him, some iffy run fits at times, but you know he flies to the football, explosive, long. Uh, a lot of people have said that he might be better than Logan Wilson, the Wyoming backer who came in a few years ago and uh, ended up you know being a steal for the Bengals this year. Luke, what's up, bro? Uh, good to see you guys here. Good to see you all coming in. So it's, it's going to be fun. But yeah, like I said, any questions you got, uh, save them for the end of the show. We'll get to them and we'll get you in here. But first off, Ali, our first item of discussion, uh, the transfer portal. I know before we get into the draft stuff, we're going to tear apart Ali's mock draft from uh, a few days ago. Obviously, we got to do that. But uh, first off, the transfer portal. We've already seen a few destinations for guys, uh, especially the top quarterbacks. I know Dylan Gabriel went to UCLA uh, to finish off his career in Bo Nix. Going, uh, the off maligned quarterback from Auburn going to Oregon. I feel like we should start there because we talked about Bo Nix a little bit on the last show. You know, he was kind of a guy, you know, we don't want to use him as that, you know, batter. Like there, there's quarterbacks who kind of become punching bags, pinatas, you, you know, especially on the college football stage, right? Like, oh, this guy sucks. Here, you know, and for any draft analysis, I feel like you don't want to do that, right? You want to be a little bit more honest and thorough with your evaluations. Like, yeah, he definitely has things to work on, but there's also some upside there. And Bo Nix was one of those guys, right? Definitely needs to improve in structure, but the athleticism, the arm talent is there. Ali, first off, I know going back to Oregon, uh, their offensive coordinator, they just hired uh, Dillingham, I think Kenny Dillingham, under uh, Dan, what's what's the uh, Georgia, Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning uh, they just hired, the yeah. Guy. Yeah, yeah. So they just hired Kenny Dillingham, who was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, for Bo Nix when he won SEC Freshman of the Year in 2019. Of course, a lot of people thought Derek Stingley should have won it. But what do you think about that kind of that union between Nix and Oregon and Dillingham? Do you think this could be a place where he kind of gets and unearths more of that upside that we've been waiting for him to unearth? We've been trying to get him to take that leap and he hasn't quite done it. He didn't do it this year. Uh, can he do it in Oregon? Let's hope so. Look, before we get into what it means for Bo Nix, I, I just want yeah. to touch a little bit on what it means for the, the Pac-12 conference. I'm proudly sporting a Pac-12 t-shirt here. Look, let's make let's make the Pac-12 sexy again. Um, since George Klyakov became the commissioner of the, the Pac-12, he's had a he's got a job on his hands, let's be honest, making the Pac-12 um, into a, a conference which is relevant in college football and the college football playoff conversation. But mm-hmm. 
in the short tenure that he's the time that he's been there, he's got Lincoln Riley at USC. That's a huge move for the conference. He yeah. then goes out. Well, he doesn't go out, but the conference gets it, an SEC quarterback um, in Bo Nix coming to one of the premier teams in Oregon. A whole change of coaching structure at Oregon, like you referenced. Dan Lanning, who's done such a great job with that Georgia defense that we've seen this season. Now the head coach down there. They're making great moves in the Pac-12. We've seen Oregon this season, but if they can continually... Uh, sorry, Utah, they've been a force winning the Pac-12 championship this year. They can continue to be um, a force in that conference as well. That's only going to be great for the conference and great for college football and great for the conference's chances of having a college football playoff representative. So from a, a football college football standpoint, I love the move. I think it, it signifies that... Um, and, and we mentioned Dylan Gabriel going to UCLA, one yeah. of the, the top quarterbacks in the um, transfer portal. And we're going to get to guys that are still remaining in there. But attracting guys like that, I think, is great for the conference. For Bonix, like you said, that familiarity is um, is going to be huge for him. That familiarity with Kenny Dillingham. Um, we, we talked about this um, privately. We talked about it even before we came on air. Bonix has got the talent. He's got arm talent. You know, he can make some exceptional throws. You know, we were talking about um, cross the field from far hash to sideline plays just into tight windows. He's got that ability. He can make those plays. He's athletic. He's got great off-script ability. Um, one of, some of the things with Bo Nix that have been, uh, been lacking in his game um, are, are on the mental side, are on the confidence side. And we use the word poise quite a lot. Um, describing quarterbacks, and that's something that Bo Nix, it feels like he hasn't had, you know, during his time at uh, Auburn. Um, when things aren't going his way, he makes those boneheaded decisions. He's he's quick to try and escape and use his legs rather than relying on his arm talent. There's there's, there's so many things that breaks down for him from a, a poise and posture. And we look at Bryce, you know, we talked about, uh, about Bryce Young at length on this show last week. And what he showed, the poise that he showed um, in leading Alabama as a, as a young guy, that's the kind of poise that you want to see out of, um, out of Bo Nix and where he can really truly develop the talent that he's got. Um, he, um, It's a great question about um, whether he's draftable or not, if it leads him to a college football playoff appearance. As Ian said, we're going to take all the questions at the end. Um, so we'll circle back on that, but it is a great question. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, and, and honestly, like I think... You know, if we can wrap up all the all the thoughts on Knicks, I do think, you know, basically the gist is, and, you know, it's interesting, my scouting report of him in the summer really didn't change all that much after this year, right? I mean, super good athlete. I mean, you talk about the off-script traits. He definitely has that. He's very athletic, can make guys, he can make guys miss, he can evade tackles, and he can get out of the pocket and throw off-platform. The problem is he tends to rely on that, right? And, you know, we go back to the poise. It's not just about, you know, oh, staring down a, a rusher and making a throw amidst contact. I mean, that's a lot of it, too. But you also need to have the poise to, you know, even if, you know, it's only hinted pressure, right? But keep your eyes up and keep going through your progressions and don't get interrupted in that process. And for Bo Nix, it, it doesn't take much. It only takes a hint for him to just drop his eyes and look for plan B, right? So, you need to stay poised to stay in structure and, and keep that work going on, you know, keep, stay on your progressions, you know, keep your eyes downfield. And for Nick's, it's just, it doesn't take much for him to just try to seek to run. Like I, I made a joke to Ali when I was scouting him in the summer. Like, I mean, 
I like it's like he's allergic to clean pockets because like he sees a hint of pressure and he's just rolling out right so very jittery right but it clearly has the high level athletic traits and his arm talent is really good too I was catching up on his Penn State tape and uh, there was one throw he was on the right hash and uh, he didn't even step into it that's another thing his lower body mechanics even when he keeps his eyes up his lower body mechanics are very fragile too you know if there's hinted pressure then he's all over the place with that so that also gets messed up but with this throw, you know, he didn't even step into it, just kind of whipped it from the right hash and threw it 15 yards downfield outside the numbers right into his receiver's hand, pushed it past the defender who was closing in on it. So he definitely has the ability to make those throws. But can he, you know, take that next step and get that poise and get that comfort with Dalingham? We, we saw him play pretty well as a true freshman, but he's never progressed. Uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I think I think, you know, of all the places, it's one of the better fits just because of that familiarity. But I really want to see him take the next step there. So we will see. But that's enough about Bo Nix. Uh, we don't want to waste any more time on this. We've got plenty more to cover. Uh, next up, man, Alabama getting stronger. Uh, they got Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. Honestly, I mean, I mean, for me, it's not surprising, right? I mean, Alabama is not a tough sell for a player who's looking to upgrade. I mean, Eli Ricks going there from LSU. Now Jameer Gibbs. I mean, they got to be the championship favorite, right? I mean, do you see – are you surprised at all by this either? Because me, I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, I kind of expected it, right? I mean, if you're a high-level athlete, if you're trying to find a place to succeed and also get that team success, it's got to be Alabama, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at the running backs that Alabama have produced over the years. You look at Derrick Henry and Mark yeah. Ingram and you look at Najee Harrison, the job that he did at Alabama last year and the job that he's already doing in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you, you're a running back, you want to be at the best programs. You want to be at a team like Alabama that has historically produced great running back talent. And, and Jameer Gibbs, Alabama was a almost a nailed-on destination for him from the minute they entered the transfer portal. And that's um, it's the, the biggest surprise is that it's taken this long to confirm that that's where he was going. And for the program, it's fantastic. You know, you look at, they're going to lose Brian Robinson to the draft. They've still got a ton of running back talent anyway. They've got, you know, they've got a guy like... Um, Jace McClellan. They've got the um, the top running back recruit in the 2022 uh, recruiting class, for Christ's sake. But uh, we've alluded to it before, Nick Saban doesn't play freshman. Doesn't like to play freshman, if possible. Let's put it that way. So, Jameer Gibbs gives him a guy who is elite. Right? He's elite right off the bat. A guy that drew comparison to Aaron Jones as a high school recruit. A guy that's drawn comparison to Alvin Kamara um, since he's been on the college football scene. Average 5.2 yards per carry as a running back at a Georgia Tech program that is trying to get away from that. Um, its roots as a, a running um, a program that runs a triple option. Um, so to to have the um, success that he's had for that program, um, while also being an incredible receiving back as well, 700, uh, 768 yards, five touchdowns in two years with Georgia Tech for a program that, as we said, isn't the without you know, besmirching anyone without slandering anyone's name. It's not the greatest college football program to be um, making your name out. So, you know, for Jameer Gibbs, he's 5'11", 200 pounds. He's a guy who runs physical, but also explosive as well. Yeah. Receiving talent, everything that the NFL is looking for in terms of a back. It's no surprise that guys are already saying, hey, look, Jameer Gibbs is the 2023 RB1, potentially in the 2023 NFL draft. Let's pump the brakes on that. There's Bijan Robinson knocking around as well. Again, it's just a further evidence that the 2023 NFL draft class 
is absolutely ram-packed full of incredible running back talent. So yeah. I, I love what Alabama have done in the transfer portal this last couple of days. You know, yeah, and, and they lost not just, not just Robinson too, but also Zach Evans in the transfer portal. You know, you got Tank yeah. Bigsby who you know was in the transfer portal and then ended up returning. So you know, a lot of talent, man. It's going to be a fun class, and like this class is interesting because. You know, the current one, it, it's really deep. There's a lot of good running backs, but there's no one that I would say is like a potential first round talent for me personally, like Spiller, Hall, Walker. I feel like those are your top three. I don't like love any of those guys, but they're in my top 50, but I, I don't love them. I'm not going to put them in my top 20, but next year you might have like two <laughs> up there. So it's, it's going to be a fun one, but I know we've got other transfer stuff to get to. I know one quarterback before we move on to the guys who have yet to uh, reach their destinations Dylan Gabriel uh, was a big producer at UCF. And like you said, going to UCLA with Chip Kelly. What do you think about that fit, replacing Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Well, I mean, we say replacing Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but the guy hasn't left yet. So, you know, we're expecting – my initial reaction was as soon as um, Dylan Gabriel was announced as transferring to UCLA was – Look, that's Dorian Thompson Robinson, right? That's his decision made. He's going, but that's that decision still hasn't been made. He still right. hasn't left. They've got Ethan Garbers as well, who is a you know a handy mobile quarterback. Um, look, Dylan Gabriel's put up exceptional numbers in that UCF offense. You know, lost a lot of this season with injury, which was horrible to see. You know, he's a guy that is easy to root for because he is so entertaining as a quarterback he's got a cannon for an arm um he's as a, as a as a mobile quarterback he's a deceptive and elusive runner so he's entertaining to watch and that's what you want to watch particularly at the college football level um what i like about going to ucla and, and chip kelly is he's he's not going to be tasked with throwing as much okay so ucf the the, the big the big knock on quarterback prospects from an nfl draft pers- uh, perspective when they've played in traditional sort of air raid offenses is oh it's this it's the scheme it's the the numbers uh, are put up it's the statistics put up or all product of the scheme well dylan gabriel is going to go into a, an offense which is a little bit more balanced we've seen how well they run the ball this season behind zach charbonnet and that incredible offensive line that they um that they've had at ucla this year um you know guys like sean ryan guys like paul Bretan. he's gonna have to go into something that's outside of his comfort zone in many respects um but there's some incredible talent to work with if if some of the so guys come back this year. You know, Greg Dulcich, the tight end, tight end, sorry, Cal Phillips, the wide receiver. Those guys come back. That's an incredibly talented offense with a quarterback who's incredibly talented. And I think it's uh, it's an opportunity for Dylan Gabriel to say, "Hey, look, I'm not the product of some pass happy offense." I'm a legitimate quarterback. I'm a genuine quarterback, and you know he's a little he's a little on the small side uh, by NFL standards. That's probably going to be the biggest knock, and and although it shouldn't be, you know, it's still something that factors into the NFL thought process where quarterbacks are concerned. So six foot, two hundred pounds. He's not the biggest guy. Uh, left-handed guy as well, so that has its issues, if you like, of their own. But, yeah, I, I like Dylan Gabriel. I like this move. It's power five at the end of the day, so the guy's putting himself in the shop window for the, the 2023 NFL draft, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, you know, size is an interesting thing with quarterbacks. Like, you know, we can talk about I, – I don't think – you can't rule out a guy right off the bat. I mean, we've said it before. If you're ruling off a guy for size, you're ruling out Kyler Murray, right? You're ruling out, you know, Russell Wilson. You don't want to rule those guys out. And it's for me, it kind of depends, right? Like how dense are they? You got to look at the frame. You can't just look at the size measurements. 
Like Malik Willis is only like six foot one, and he might end up measuring a little bit shorter at the senior bowl. We'll see. But, you know, he's super thick. I mean, have you seen that guy's calves? Like that guy, he looks like he could squat like 2,000 pounds or something. But, you know, like you look at that frame and you're like, all right, well, he should be pretty durable at the next level. And you look at the guy like Gabriel, a little bit thinner, you know, six foot 200. It's not small by any means, but, you know, you do have to wonder if the durability is going to transfer over to the NFL. And, you know, it's, it's a question, right? But it's not a big question. Like you said, it's not something you write off a guy. I feel like if DTR leaves and if Dylan Gabriel takes that spot, like you said, a lot of talent around him, and I think that scheme fits him really well. Casimir Allen, running back, has really improved as a receiving threat of the backfield too, so that's going to be another outlet for him if you know he takes a starting job there. So it's going to be exciting with Knicks and uh, Gabriel, and there's other quarterbacks in the portal too that are looking for their spots. I know Keaton Slovis uh, entered the portal from USC and then Cameron Ward from an incarnate word. I mean, that's an interesting one. I mean, that guy has arm tail and it pops off the screen and we've seen some reports that maybe he's being connected to Ole Miss. So man, I don't know. I'm getting giddy thinking about that, that whole union with Lane Kiffin. I don't know about you, but we, we've seen Kiffin develop Matt Corral into a draftable prospect, into a, you know, potential first round prospect. And there's still some things that, that Corral needs to work on. Right. And like that, in a way that scheme may have limited some of the NFL development with all those quick reads. Right. But at the same time, it could be a good stepping stone for a guy like Cameron Ward who's trying to prove himself against SEC competition. Do you agree? Do you really like that fit for him? Yeah, and it seems like he likes that fit, and it sounds like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss really likes the fit of bringing Cameron Ward from Incarnate Ward. Look, if 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 this is a guy that you're hearing about for the first time, let me tell you a little bit about Cameron Ward because the dude won the Jerry Rice Award as the top freshman in FCS-level college football. Um, last season, this year, Cameron four thousand equals Jerry Rice. You heard it here first from Ali Hodgson. <laughs> you heard it here first. He's the new goat. Four thousand six hundred and forty-eight passing yards this season. Forty-seven touchdowns, sixty-five percent completion percentage. The guy is incredible, and the potential for him to go to um, to, to hop up from the FCS level straight into the the Power Five is is insane. But look, Lane Kiffin. He, he heard about Cameron Ward. He wanted him to visit Ole Miss. He wanted to make a pitch to this kid. And if you're a quarterback prospect, if you get the opportunity to go and play in that Ole Miss offense, you, you're not going to turn it down. Now, he's not there yet. Um, and his head coach from Incarnate Ward went to um, Washington State. Now, we know what Washington State has done in terms of developing high number quarterbacks um, in terms of statistics, not necessarily, not necessarily developing um, the, the requisites for potential in the NFL, but in terms of putting up pure numbers and getting yourself noticed, that's not a bad place to be. But if he goes to Ole Miss, it, che- it, te- um, it checks off a number of the boxes that he's looking for. I read an interview with him that says he wants to go to a place where he's going to have the opportunity to have to read coverage as better. Well, yeah. you're not going to find anywhere better than the SEC. So he's going to get the opportunity. He wants to be able to go and throw the ball. He wants to be able to go and improve his mechanics. This is a kid that played in a T-wing formation at high school, at the high school level. So he's got some work to do as a, as a, as a passer of the ball. But I saw him described as an absolute freak, and I think that's a great description to describe Cameron Ward. You see what Bailey, Zapp, uh, Bailey Zappi has done this year with Western Kentucky, a guy that has absolutely skyrocketed up the charts with incredible production. That's what you're looking at with Cameron Ward, uh, Ward for me. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. Like, I, I haven't watched as much as him as you, but, you know, from the little bits I've seen, you can definitely tell the talent is there. It is very evident, and a coach like Lane Kiffin might be able to unlock that and give him the next step he needs to take it to the NFL draft. Guys, if you're just tuning in, 
Uh, just a reminder, get your questions in. If you have any, if you want to, if you're wondering anything about what we think about certain prospects or whatever, let us know in the comments and we'll circle back to them at the end. We've got one more quarterback and then we'll move on to the main event. Ali's mock, Keaton Slovis uh, transferring from USC reports have said Pittsburgh, Notre Dame are kind of in the running. And it's interesting, you know, I, you know, in a sense, I, I'm not going to say this outright, right? You know, people may draw the, the comparison to Kenny Pickett because like Pickett, Slovis has had trouble with injury in his previous years. And, you know, you could argue that's kind of made it hard for him to reach his potential, right? But me personally, looking at it, Ali, I don't know how you feel. I think Pickett had more physical upside than Slovis coming into this year. You know, I look at Slovis, not quite the athlete that Pickett is, and I also don't think he has as good an arm. And, and I'm not saying Pickett's arm is elite, but I've always been a proponent of the mindset that, you know, while he doesn't have elite strength, he still has enough arm talent to generate velocity off base and, and kind of change his arm angles and, you know, make those throws off platform. So to me personally, I don't quite see that, but I do see a guy who with the talent that Pitt has could potentially direct that offense pretty well if he's in there, uh, you know, but it looks like maybe Notre Dame is the, the place for him. Is there a place that you prefer for Slovis? And do you see him maybe challenging for an early round spot? Me personally, I think he's more of a day three guy either way, especially with the talent we got next year, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think for for um, for Keenan Slovis, I think probably Notre Dame is a better, not necessarily the better fit. I think it's a better situation because any quarterback that goes into Pittsburgh this um, next year is on a hide into nothing compared to what Penny, uh, Kenny Pickett leaves behind. You know, the guy has program records. The guy has elevated his draft stock incredibly over the the, the past season. He's yeah. been during his time at Pittsburgh, the guy has been, you know, a gritty competitor for that program. And then he's just elevated it this year with incredible performances uh, and obviously elevated his, his draft stock with an increase in, you know, the things that you've just mentioned that he's shown this year. So I think from a situation going into that offense in Pitt, they lost their offensive coordinator to Nebraska. There's a lot of pieces there of expectation and change that, um, that I, I think necessarily you don't want to try and be the follow-up guy to that. Whereas you go to Notre Dame, I don't think there's as much expectation um, because you're not replacing a guy like Pickett, you know, with yeah. all due respect to Jack Cohn. Jack Cohn hasn't been, you know, the guy. Ian Book, whatever you think of Ian Book, for me, he wasn't the guy either. So you, you, you're not on the same hide into nothing. Um, obviously, there's a great feel around the Notre Dame program at the moment as well, you know, with the Marcus Freeman hire um, as the head coach. He, he seems like a guy who would be able to get the best out of anyone that walks through that door. And Keenan Slovis is a guy who he needs rebuilding for me. He needs rebuilding from the, from the feet upwards um, because he showed signs of potential in 2019. Some of the plays he made in 2019 uh, in his freshman year at UCF, uh, USC, sorry, were, were phenomenal. Um, and he showed some of the things that, that made him an alluring quarterback prospect for this 2022 NFL draft class. Um, you mentioned his athleticism. He's, he, he, I agree, he's no Kenny Pickett on the ground. He's certainly no Malik Willis on the ground, but he's, he's got some bits and bats there. Yeah. And he's made some incredible throws. And he just never seemed to be able to get that back. And where we, we kind of put it down to injury in 2020. And then this season was, you know... So I, I kind of feel like if he goes to a place like Notre Dame, hopefully he can behind a, an offensive line that has got better and better as this season's progressed. You know, they'll lose, they'll lose Jarrett Patterson this year, but the rest of the guys, I think, they, they stay behind. 
So he's got a decent offensive line at Notre Dame. He's covered the best tight end in the 2023 NFL draft class in Michael Mayer to use as his target. Um, they've got some emerging wide receivers as well. I, I think that Notre Dame situation is is potentially a, a better situation, if not necessarily a better fit for Keaton Slovis. Yeah, and you know, thinking about the quarterbacks that he emulates, like Ian Book, Jack Cohn, Keaton Slovis, feels like the next logical progression there right now. But uh, I'm, I'm, that sounds like a slight, and it's not. Like looking back at his 2019 tape, there were a lot of good plays, and I think you know if he can reach his upside. You know, to me, he reminded me stylistically a little bit of Kirk Cousins, right? And, you know, where did Kirk Cousins get drafted in 2012? Fourth round. Where would he get drafted today? Probably day three still, right? So it's not a guy who has those high-end traits, but maybe if he can, you know, like you said, put himself together again mentally and, and you know, find that change of scenery that's going to catalyze that, then maybe he can end up being a solid backup spot starter in the league and maybe end up taking one of those opportunities to an extended starting audition. We'll see, but you know, right away, right now, the next step for him, like you said, is finding that place. And to me, I, I like Notre Dame as the fit a little bit more. The, the big wild card for me is Jordan Addison. I mean, that guy might be the best returning receiver in the in the NCAA. So, you know, seeing him and Pitt, that's enticing too. So we'll have to see. But we've talked about transfer portal enough. Let's go on to Ali's mock draft. Ali, you recently released a four-round mock draft. Now, before we get into it, I got to read this, uh, this, this subtitle here because Ali went all out. Uh, kind of connecting this, making a, a holiday mashup theme, if you will. So here we go. His subtitle is, Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring as they were engrossed in our 2022 NFL mock draft. I mean, I mean, I'll give it, I'll give it, I'll give it some points for effort. I'll give it, I think I'll give it 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10. I like it. I like it. Ali always is very clever where I cannot be in writing. You know, like I, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. So props to Ali for making the Christmas themed mock draft. And, you know, here you can read it. Uh, you can read it here on ProFootballNetwork.com. But Ali, I know this was a fun one to kind of look through a lot of interesting fits, especially it's kind of interesting, though, for the, what I've kind of found doing these mock drafts in round one there's only so many probabilities. Like there's a lot, don't get me wrong, but we've done so many mock drafts at this point where it does get kind of stale. I mean, especially in the top 10, like there's only so many guys you can choose from, but as you get into round two and round three and round four, then you can start to mix it up a little bit more. So I, I picked a few picks to kind of break down for you or to hear your breakdown from, I should say. And I want to hear your thoughts on these guys. But first off, I guess, just real quick, I mean, is there any mindset you try to get into with these mock drafts? Because I know for me with the seven rounders, obviously, you know, team fit plays into it a lot, kind of playing around with those matchups. Is that kind of your your mindset in this kind of looking for the team fits for certain prospects and how that might dictate the board? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's very much um, fit driven, um, mainly based on um, – what teams have got as uh, as their principal needs? That's my the going to the first round thinking. Look, can we can we hit a need? And, and I know that's not how the NFL draft works. I know best player available is you know is as much of it as um, as you know anything else. But if in that first round you can hit on the biggest need for a team, that's huge for me. And that's what I try and do on the mock drafts. Uh, looking at things like potential guys who are going to be leaving in free agency as well. If you've got a big money guy that you're going to have to replace. Um, in um, in free agency come next April, that's that's a huge thing as well. But yeah, first first round, if we can nail off the primary need, that's huge. But if a guy stands out as being a, a more exceptional talent at maybe the second or third need, 
as what we might consider, then we'll slide that guy in there. But um, yeah, you you mentioned it's this time of year. I've lost track of how many mock drafts we've I've written so know, far dude. since since the first the very first 2022 NFL mock draft we did back in March. I've lost track, like w- at least one a month since then. Yeah, I did. More. I did a. I did a seven rounder in like November, and then two weeks later, it's like, hey, you're doing another seven rounder. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, we just did it. Like, hey, I love it. I love playing around with it, but it, it's it's a lot to take in. Like Josh said, though, I mean, it starts out, and this is kind of how we've done it, right? In August and September, there's really only so much you know, so you can be all over the place with it. You can play around with different possibilities, right? But then as you get to January and February and March and, and we start to know more, you know, the senior bowl, the NFL combine interviews, medicals, you know, as you start to know more and accumulate more information, that really sets in stone the amount of probabilities that you have. And it's still going to be like in the millions. Right. But, you know, it, it at least kind of narrows it down for you from a mock draft standpoint. So it's fun to kind of, you know, you, you go from an experimental uh, strategy early on to a predictive strategy. And that progression is really fun to, to go along. You know, because it's, it's like a spectrum. It's like a slider. You're not completely experimental or completely predictive. You can always kind of mix it up a little bit. So that's always a fun part of it. But I, I've been talking for too long. You pro- you're probably tired of hearing my voice. Let's hear Ali. Let's hear what you have to say about these guys. Now, five picks to me that stood out. And we're going to start with the Dallas Cowboys in round one. And this was more because I was just very, very intrigued and excited by the fit. I think if you look at the Cowboys – Micah Parsons, they got their defensive catalyst. I love how they're using him, you know, not just as an inside linebacker, but on the edge too, because he projected very well there. So using him as that just complete chess piece, that blitz specialist is really paying dividends for them. But they do need a, they could use another dynamic playmaker on the back end. And you gave them Daxon Hill, the freak athlete from Michigan. So uh, what, what was your thought process there? Yeah, you you mentioned the Cowboys and um, how the 2021 NFL draft cherry picked some of those needs, and, and Michael Parsons was was just a perfect um, need fit for the Dallas Cowboys. And when I look at the 2022 NFL draft, there's a number of potential needs for this team. You know, they they could go offensive tackle if the board falls right with them for to replace Tyron Smith. You know, he's had it, you know serious medical issues, injuries, missed a lot of time. Um, you need to make sure that Dak Prescott is well protected to, to play up to the best of his potential. So they could go offensive tackle. They could go linebacker. Leighton Van Der Esch recently hasn't looked like the guy um, he did earlier on in his career. They could go Jordan Davis, someone like Jordan Davis at defensive tackle and really solidify the inside of that defensive line. By they the way, get... Jordan Davis to the, to the Ravens, I love that fit, by the way. That was another one. Yeah. That. For, for me, you look at the Ravens, they've got um, the potential, um, a, a lot of potential departures from that defensive line. And you look at Jordan Davis, you just plug him in in the middle of their big old beast, yeah. double teams for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that I, I love. Um, the, but back to the back to the Cowboys, you know, they've they've improved. The secondary's improved this year. There's no getting away from that. You know, Diggs is as. Interception numbers have obviously caught the attention. There's also some flip side of that. They've given up the um, like bottom ten in terms of um, passing yardage that they've given up this season. Yeah. They've given up like with the ninth worst um, yards per carry to the ground game as well. So they really need for me like you. you I think the perfect word there: defensive playmaker, a stud, and and that's what Daxton Hill is. You know, the guy is a, a ludicrous athlete. 
insane. Yeah. That's insane. It could be, you know, we've discussed this before. He could be one of the most athletic prospects in this 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, for, for, for context that people don't know out there, in high school, his recruiting testing numbers, he had a 4-3, 40-yard dash, and a 43-inch vertical. That was in high school. That's usually when you find their athletic floor, all right? So that's before they go through the athletic training pro- programs in college. So it's safe to say. And you can see it on tape. The dude closes faster than a missile. I mean, he is, it's insane. So uh, enough. But, yeah, you, he's an elite athlete. It's, it's so, crazy. So he's an elite athlete. And, and that gives him the range. It gives him the, um, the ability to mirror in um, – in coverage, you know, man coverage gives him the ability to mirror routes. He's he's also, you know, decent in terms of football intelligence. You see yeah. him working the quarterback's eyes, and from the safety position, that's what you want to see. So he improved a lot this year. Exactly, yeah. Incredible athlete range, coverage skills. He's got that football intelligence. For me, you watch him as a blitzer, come flying out into the backfield. See some of the stuff that he does um, against the run as well. Like he's not the there's work to do in terms of how he plays the run. Let's put it that way. But you watch him flying around. He's yeah, he's he's insane, man. Absolutely yeah. insane. And yeah. and that's what you that's what you need. Like yeah. the the issues that the Cowboys have got. Daxon Hill just plug him in there, and and those yeah. issues are. I completely agree, man. It's, <coughs> yeah, me. Ali's a little bit under the weather, unfortunately, but yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, and like Josh said, I mean, pairing that with Micah Parsons, I mean, when in doubt, bank on traits, right? And like, he's not, he still has some work to do on the mental side. Like, it's not perfect, but he improved a lot this year. There were there were plays last year where I, I would see his eyes pointed toward where the ball is on like outside runs, and it would still take him like a couple seconds to trigger. This year, he's been much more confident and proactive and quick with his processing. And, you know, on top of that, he's got the versatility. You know, he's he's fluid, man. He's super fluid. You could put him at boundary corner and he'd be fine, too. So and his ball skills, he's been very competitive at the catch point. So I love it. Josh loves it. I, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't love this one. So it's a fun pick. And it really stood out to me among the round one picks is one that I that I would say this can really take the Cowboys defense that has already been a lot better than expected this year. This can take them to the next level, right? So that, that would be a really fun one. Uh, moving down the board, the New England Patriots. This was an interesting one to me because I remember you and me earlier in the season, we weren't as high on this guy, but I recently wrote up his profile. He really opened my eyes. Uh, he's a very good player, a very good competitor. There's one diluting question with his upside, but Roger McCreary, Auburn corner. I know he really gave Jameson Williams and John Mechie a fight uh, in that game against Alabama. So what made him sneak into round one in this one? Yeah, and, and as you rightly point out, we've had that conversation about Roger McCreary because yeah. I've always been a big Nethemiah Pritchett fan in that Auburn backfield. Uh, and I still am. I still am. And the, there is some questions with regard to Roger McCreary in terms of the um, the length, the arm length, which is you know more so than, excuse me, more so than height and size, yeah. the cornerback position length is is such a key thing for cornerbacks so there are some questions there but you talk about his performance against Alabama and how he how he went into battle with Jameson Williams and with John Mechie it was exceptional that's some of the best cornerback play that I've, I've seen this season um, in live action now when you go back and study the tape which we'll do we'll be doing with all these guys over the next months we'll be going back and studying 2021 tape yeah, it never true at the ends man Always no exactly exactly but that's when you discover that um, what what the guys do, the little the nuances of what they do so well in live action, it's you know it, it might look great, 
and nine, nine times out of ten, it is great. But you go back and you find a little bit of thing when you watch it on that all twenty-two. But yeah, he's he's fast. You know, we talked about Daxton Hill and the athletic profile there. Roger McCreary is a fast guy with fluid movement. Again, same as uh, as Daxton Hill. The footwork allows him to mirror well in coverage. <coughs> Excuse me, um, as you as you alluded to, combative as well. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I suppose when you're when you're working against preconceptions like the arm length issue, that forces you into being more combative and physical. You know, you want to stamp your authority on a guy when there's questions being made about your talent. And you know, he he is a guy who is receiving genuine round one buzz out in scouting communities and you know NFL draft Twitter and some of the some of the bigger guys really are chucking Roger McCreary's name there as one of the best quarterbacks in the class and you, you know me and, and anyone who follows me on Twitter will know me Andrew Booth is my guy I don't think there's a more athletic cornerback I don't think there's a better cornerback in college football than Andrew Booth but Roger McCreary is is, is moving up into the conversations that people are having about these guys so yeah yeah for for me, and, me, sorry, go on. Yeah, for me, the arm length is like, I and again, like watching his tape, you can see it's not nearly as big a, of an issue as people would be led to believe if they didn't watch the tape, right? Like he's still very competitive at the catch point. He's still very physical. He's more than willing to surge into those disruption windows and make the play, right? But you know, naturally, football is a game of inches, right? So if you have twenty nine inch arms and you need thirty inch arms to make a play on a ball. You know, sometimes that one inch is just enough to give the receiver the, the cushion he needs, right? So, you know, naturally it's going to limit you a little bit. Also, impress man, it could be an issue, right? Uh, we, we've seen him play more soft shoot off man, and he's very good there. You know, I think he's very fluid, very twitchy. He can mirror guys really well. He's got great footwork. Uh, but, you know, that is going to be a diluting factor, especially when you're projecting for upside in a class like this that has, like you said, my top two uh, is Andrew Booth and, and Derek Stingley, and then Kyer Elam is up there. Ahmad Gardner, who might be more of a schematic fit for teams uh, who like length on the outside. Uh, Darian Kendrick is a big riser who's kind of underrated. You know, all those long physical corners, athletic corners, you know, maybe a team that has that threshold that they're looking for in terms of arm length might not like McCreary so much in that realm. I still think he can be a, I, I think he's going to be a day two guy. You know, I don't think he falls outside day two when his tape is, is like round two. It, it might even be round one tape at its best, right? But you know, that arm length, teams can be sticklers about that, about the requirements for certain physical measurements of the position. So, you know, I think you could sneak into round one. I think you'd sneak out around two. It's just one of those things. There's always a certain variance with guys. And especially with a strong corner class like this, you really can't speak in certainties. But I love him going to the Patriots. I think the Patriots, you know, they do tend to like longer corners, but I think McCreary is the guy. You look at what the Patriots look for in that secondary, quick reaction ability, competitive toughness at the catch point. You know, and then having that fluidity and twitchiness, Roger McCreary definitely has that. So I think in that sense, he can be that guy in the secondary that can replace J.C. Jackson if he leaves in the offseason, can be one of those really good fits. So I like that one. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Trayvon Walker in round two, going to the New Orleans Saints. And I, I circled this one. I love this one because I think Trayvon Walker, you know, you look at how Georgia uses him, how Dan Lanning used him. And. Lanning was really a maniac, man. I mean, you'll see him at wide seven, at wide nine. You'll see him down at one tech. I mean, he can go anywhere and still provide an impact. And you look at that, you know, he's listed as a DT on our mock, but he could, he could play edge too. He's very big. I think he could put on five to 10 more pounds without losing any athleticism. And you look at what the Saints have preferred to edge in the past. I mean, uh, you got Marcus Davenport, Cameron Jordan, Trey Hendrickson. All those guys are bigger, especially in Davenport Hendrickson's case, longer. 
And that's exactly what Trayvon Walker is. I remember you watched Walker. And when you watched him, you told me this guy is the good version of disgusting, the good kind of disgusting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the pick and how uh, this good, disgusting ability kind of made him the selection for New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, you talked about there is um, his size profile. You know, the guy's currently um, 6'5", 275. He's played the game at 290 pounds. He could quite conceivably add another 10 pounds on, play play 300 pounds in the middle of the defensive line for the Saints that has got a number of key pieces that are set to hit free agency at the end of this season. So you've got a guy who could play defensive tackle in the NFL, a guy that could play a defensive end in the NFL. You've got a guy whose athleticism is off the charts. He moves, when I wrote his report, he's like, this This guy's 275 now, played 290 when some of the tape that I watched. He moves better than some 225, 230 linebackers. The, the, there was one play, I can't remember who it was against. He moved from the B gap to the A gap, like teleported there. Like You, you just don't see people move like Trayvon Walker does. He's um, strong. He's long. He's that's evident in how he attacks at the point of attack. You know, he, he's a guy who's got a toolbox of weapons. If there was one um, blip on his profile, you want to see him combine those together more. You know, we're going to talk about Cameron Thomas in a minute. He's a guy who puts moves together. Trayvon Walker sometimes gets stonewalled with his first move. He doesn't have a backup plan. So he needs needs to come with more of a pass rush plan. He needs to put a combination of moves together. But man, the athletic upside is incredible. Some of the the ways that he bullies um, opposition offensive linemen is just insane. You know, that, that New Orleans Saints defense is incredible. It's just only going to get better by adding a guy like Trayvon Walker. Yeah, I mean, he, he moves like a gazelle for his size, and he's insanely powerful. I mean, people talk about power like it's something you have or you don't. And, you know, in a sense, some guys are more powerful. But if you're longer, you know, you can use that length as a conduit with your explosiveness to generate further power. And you, so you look at a guy like Walker who has that explosiveness, who has that massive wingspan. This guy can generate insane amounts of power off the snap. And also he moves well. So it's one of those guys who really the upside, the the, the ceiling, you can't really see it. It's 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 big. It's one of the highest in the class. So I love that fit with the Saints. I think that's something that they definitely look for. Uh, but oh, we got a question. We got a good question. Uh Thibodeau or Hutch as edge one. We'll get to that in the question. I love that question, Luke. I love it. Absolutely. That's been a big topic of discussion, but uh, before, we, we're almost running out of time for our pre-question segment. So, Ali, real quick, like in a minute or less, Cameron Thomas going to the 49ers. I, this was another one I was a big fan of. And obviously having him in the second round, you seem to be a big fan of Cameron Thomas as well. So, uh, show the people what he's all about. Funnily enough, again, looking at another guy who's six foot five, 275 pounds, versatile, started off as a defensive tackle, moved to defensive end. He has been insanely productive this season. 11 and a half sacks, 20 and a half tackles for loss. We're like absolutely losing our minds about Will Anderson. There's a guy in the Mountain West who is doing just the, just the same thing. Absolutely similar number of statistics. Yeah, he's not Will Anderson. Let's not get carried away. But I just referenced it there when we were talking about Trayvon Walker. Cameron Thomas has got a toolbox of pass rush weapons and he is not afraid to use them and he's not afraid to combine them and mix them up. He's more, he's just as likely to hit you with a bull rush as he is to step inside, put some swim moves on. The guy can, you know, he can put them together, counter moves really well. That's one of the most impressive things is his handwork, how he puts together uh, moves. Some of his counters is just incredible. Yeah, Cameron, Cameron Thomas is a guy who he's rising. He's rising in all scouting circles. Um, I, I don't see some of the first round 
that a lot of people have been talking around. But second day, I think that's entirely possible for, for Cameron Thomas. Yeah, and, and he's pretty big too. He's like 6'5", 260. Yeah. Like 270, 6'5", 270. 270, yeah, because I, I know they play him on the interior a lot, right? So, And he flashed yeah. in the summer, so I'm a big fan of that. Uh, we were going to get real quick. Okay, 20 seconds or less. I know Braxton Jones, you had him go to the Rams uh, at number 100. They don't have any first, second, or they have barely have a third-round pick. Braxton Jones snuck into round three. Talented guy. Ali, give us a, a Cliff Notes version of uh, what you've seen from him. Upside, upside, upside. Dude is going to the senior ball. Um, biggest question mark about his stock so far is his competi- level of competition. Guy's played in the FCS for Southern Utah, so he's going to go to the senior ball. If he balls out there, his stock is only going to rise. He is 6'5", 3'10", long. That's the key thing. We know NFL um, decision makers value length. Guy's long. Guy's strong. He's a smooth mover. He is able to get out to the second level in the, in the run game. You know, tick box, tick box, tick box stuff that NFL is looking for in the offensive tackle position. And the Rams have got, you know, a 78-year-old man playing at left tackle at the moment. So Seriously, man. Andrew Whitworth. It makes sense. How, makes sense. How does that guy keep chugging? I don't even know. But he does somehow. So, But, yeah, that length way. is very important in the trenches, like you said. And I feel like that's a good segue to our Q&A section. So we got Luke Carr. Appreciate you, buddy, giving our first question, having a chance to check out the latest mock drafts. Thibodeau or Hodge for edge one? Uh, I think there's a little bit of nuance to this question, personally. Uh, you know, it, there's one is like, where, who do you have rated above the other? And do you like, would you, would you fathom Hutchinson going number one over? I still have Thibodeau as a prospect on my rankings. I still have Thibodeau as my number one overall prospect over Hutchinson. I think that, you know, ultimately Hutchinson has been very productive this year, very good, but Thibodeau still provides that elite explosiveness length combination. I mean, the way he moves, the, ex- the acceleration that he can generate in, in such a short amount of space is really, it's rare. And then on top of that, he's super long. I think he can generate a lot of power with that length. And he's pretty flexible, too. He can get pretty low. He's flexible. He can hold his own and run defense. So I really love that well-rounded version of his game. And I think that, you know, he still has a working arsenal that he's, that he's kind of working on in terms of pass rush moves. But the traits are, you know, as high-end as you're going to find. So, for me, I look at that, and you look at Aiden Hutchinson, doesn't quite have that length, and I don't think he's going to be quite as high-level an athlete. He's still going to be a great athlete. I mean, he was a Felvin freak, so he's going to test very well. But I think the upside is still higher with Thibodeau, and he's produced enough where I can say, you know, I'm comfortable taking this guy over Hutch because in two to three years down the line, Thibodeau might end up being a better player. So that's it for me. But, you know, and this has changed now that the Lions don't have the number one pick because obviously they're not looking for ankle biters at number one anymore. But, you know, when the Lions were number one, you know, Hutchinson was a guy who stood out to me. And, you know, for any NFL scout or evaluator, I feel like Hutchinson's lunch pail mentality, his all out motor, that is something that could win over old school NFL scouts in, in, in the lens that maybe Hutchinson can't. So or that maybe Thibodeau can't. So that's my thought process. Ali, real quick, you in the same boat. Yeah, sure. I um, I think people forget how good Kalon Thibodeau is because he isn't in the national spotlight the same way that Aiden Hutchinson's been. They forget the guy's been injured this season, but be under, you know, just no illusion. This guy is an absolute beast. And, you know, here's some of the, some of the oh, Aiden Hutchinson's, this character, that character. Thibodeau's been a leader at Oregon, not just on the field, but he's also a leader in his local community as well. Yeah. You know, the guy does, as for years, done stuff for the local community. Um, sign me up for a whole bucket of that. But the, the in terms of the on-field stuff, exactly what you just said, that explosion, that length, the kid is an absolute star. 
Yeah, and I, I agree. Hutch is a fit for them, not just because of the mentality, but, you know, he's a local guy. So, you know, there's definitely some ties there. And if he's there on the – I think there's a good chance now that the Lions have kind of moved down the board a little bit, there's a good chance that, you know, he's still on the board and they take him, right, because he might be the best player on their board. And I think it's more likely that he goes number three to the Lions than number one to whoever's picked number one. Now I forget. But, you know, I think, I think Thibodeau is the guy that has the upside that warrants that. And I'm not saying Hutchinson doesn't have the upside, but Thibodeau – is just he's kind of a tier above in that respect in what he can project to be so that's our take moving back to the uh, bonex question if he leads oregon to the cfp is he going to be draftable me personally i don't think the cfp is a is a prerequisite for him to be draftable because frankly i think it's kind of a low probability event you know there's only four teams that can make it so i think that you know him leading oregon there in itself is kind of it's it's not something you can really bank on uh for me what bonex needs to do to become draftable is I, we touched on it earlier, but just improve in structure and, and improve your poise, right? So you're willing to kind of see through the process longer than you would in years past because time and time again, he sees a little bit of pressure and he's off. He's running outside the pocket, kind of imploding plays. So stick to your keys, you know, keep your eyes up field, stay in the pocket, learn to navigate lanes as opposed to just run out outside structure, you know, learn to manipulate the pocket and manipulate your spacing to stay on your feet and extend your time in there. You know, to me, that's what Bo Nix needs to do is become a better quarterback. He's a great talent. Can he become a better quarterback? Doesn't necessarily need to lead Oregon to a, a championship or, or a playoff appearance to do that, you know, but at least show that diagnostic growth. That's what I'm looking for from him. Uh, Ali, what are you looking for from Bo Nix to improve and maybe up his stock in next year's quarterback class? Yeah, it's just consistency. It's consistency. It's the mental aspects of his game. It's like you say, he's um, learning to – just to be to be more poised, you know. Yeah. We mentioned Bryce Young earlier in the in the in the in the show. Like you watch that guy, the poise just oozes out of him, you know. And that's what you want to see out of Bo Nix. And hopefully that that return to um, Kenny Dillingham at Oregon, that new um, new environment. And I've said this. We'll just finish up on this. I said this in another show. What you've got to remember about Bo Nix is this kid is a legacy at Auburn. He was the level of expectations on the kid was so high for that program, and he won the SEC Freshman of the Year. Whether you you think that was rightly or wrongly, there was so much expectation. But at the same time, he was a kid that the head coach Gus Miles on didn't even want to start. You know, he was thrust into the limelight by the Auburn boosters at, at, at Auburn. So in the end, that situation is uh, as much a key to success as any other. So I think a change of scene, change of situation, hopefully that change of mentality that really writes some of the things that are wrong with Bo Nix's game. And we might see a guy who, like you say, is draftable come next year. Because right now, there's, there's not a whole host of quarterbacks. You know, Brasham's going to be there. What are we going to get out of DJ Ungulele at Clemson? What are we going to see from a development perspective from him? But then you've got like guys like Sam Hartman who've gone back. Guys like Grayson McCall, who I believe will return to Coastal Carolina. You know, there's, there's a lot in the mix but it's not, oh, this guy stands out, this guy stands out, this guy stands out. So Bonick's got a chance to put himself in that shot window. Yeah, and like CJ Stroud, Will Levis, to Phil Jerkovic. But at the same time, it's going to be open. It's always open when a new year turns over. So there's a chance, you know, he, he, he was kind of counted on, he was kind of expected to be the guy at Auburn because of that legacy element. Now he's kind of charting his own path at Oregon. A change of scenery can be good. We've seen it affect quarterbacks positively, and we've seen quarterbacks fizzle out. So we'll see what Nick's does, but... 
He needs that big Knicks energy if he's going to do that. So hopefully you can get it. But that's all the time we got, guys. We're running out, so we're going to get you uh, on your way here. But thank you, as always, for turning in. If you want to uh, read Ali's mock, it is on the site, the full round mock draft. A lot of interesting picks beyond the ones that we uh, threw up on the screen. So check those out. Always check out. We got new scouting reports coming out soon. We got full previews. So a lot of quality NFL draft content. And, of course, on Thursday, tune in. Tony Pauline, Cam Meller. And myself, we're going to be giving you some insider nuggets and analysis on Thursday edition of the Hashes. Until then, until next Tuesday, peace out, guys. Have a great night.